and had um, was you know a reasonably good king and, and did good things, and he made a you know pretty serious diplomatic blunder by um, is the sound on? Is that we okay? Uh, made a pretty serious diplomatic blunder by the the representatives from Babylon came down to to visit to, to see him on behalf of the king of Babylon, and um, Hezekiah got his ego out in front of his brains and took the Babylonians through the entire treasure house and showed him how wealthy he was and everything like that. The Babylonians, of course, went back and said, "Let's figure out how we can get that stuff," and um, and so the the prophet Isaiah said to Hezekiah, you know, you have really messed up and, uh, you know, that God is going to punish us and the Babylonians are going to come and take us over and take us into captivity and all that, that sort of thing. And he said, you know, but this will not happen in your lifetime, said this to Hezekiah, and this will not happen in your lifetime. And the quote that we were looking at last week was Hezekiah said, you know, gee, that's, that's a good deal. If it's you know, if all the consequences are coming after my lifetime, this is a pretty good deal. And you know, I find that to be an appalling moral position, you know, to, to take. And you know, so we were looking at three named advisors of Hezekiah, uh, Eliakim and Joab and Shabna, and wondering what might they have said, you know, when, when he. When he did, what well, that was what we were. That's the story we were fracking, and of course, fracking a story is looking at the parts that just aren't covered in scripture. So you, you make it. So we talked last time about what these people might do, and we left it. And there was another really important thing beyond what we what we said. What we what we where we left it last time was that we could certainly understand that they might say nothing, because Hezekiah is a really powerful guy. Uh, if you said something, it might. You know, it might cost you your job. If you said something, the likelihood of it actually changing Hezekiah's point of view was pretty thin. Uh, and so it was understandable that they would say nothing. It was natural when confronted with that that they would do that. And that's where we stopped. That was the wrong place to stop. Because being faithful isn't natural. Being faithful is not natural. Uh, if if being faithful were natural, we wouldn't have to come out here every week and work on it. You know, if 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 being faithful was something that just came naturally to people, and doing what comes naturally was all there is to it, then we wouldn't have to to go to any trouble to to maintain it. And but the fact is, as faithful people, as faithful people, we are called to be extraordinary. We are called. Basically, what makes us moral human beings is our ability to choose principle over instinct. That's what separates us from the rest of the, of the, of the beings that we know about in, in the universe, that we have the capacity to choose principle over instinct. And so the, 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 the instinct was clear here for these three advisors. You know, keep your mouth shut, keep your job, you know, you know just you know, tuck your head in and, 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 and last. That's the natural thing to do. Faithfulness is not natural. Faithfulness is about being extraordinary. And so, you know, we, that's the step that we had to t- that we didn't take last time that, that I wanted to make sure we took this time. Does that raise any questions for anybody? So, it, I mean, it, I mean, it, it really is an important distinction to be made about about us that the the guys in, around Hezekiah, you know, you'd certainly understand if they kept their mouth shut, but you would not admire them. 
Yes, they might have, very likely. They, they might have lost their position. Or it's hard to tell. I mean, we, we were making it up. So, I mean, so it's a natural, you know, it is a natural concern, a natural thing to do. We're not here working on being natural. We're here as Christians working on being extraordinary. That's the difference, my friends. That's the difference. So, um, now the form that that takes, you know, we take our different talks. But anyway, um, was that clear enough? Are we okay with Hezekiah? Because we're going to go on to other, other ground today. But that's an important, I think, moral distinction. Um, now, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to take on a little different kind of a, of a story in Scripture. We're going to take on one of Jesus' parables. Now, we've been talking about the other fracking stories have been incidents in history. And, of course, this story, the prodigal son, uh, which is in Luke 15, 11 to 32, uh, is, not, is not a real story. Jesus made it up. So uh, if he made it up, well, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. We can make up some stuff, too. So we're going to add to that story. Yes, ma'am. It does. I mean, it. That. I, I, that's a. Thank you. That. The, what. What Amy suggested for those of you who are listening on on the tape is that uh, she's just consigned the next three years of my life to writing a, <laughs> a sequel, <laughs> a sequel to the book, which I, which I frankly had been worried about what to do with the next maybe, three years. Maybe you can do that on Thursday morning. Thursday mornings, I take cover it that way, right? Uh, and and take some do some more fracking about applied applying it to life. And I, I, I mean that that could be fun. And, it, and uh, but the but the thing is that that fracking a story, you know, does always wants to lead to some practical application, in the political arena, in the family arena, the church arena, the you know everywhere. But but it's got to come down someplace. You know, it, it's got to say something about who we are and how we live. So uh, so there we are. If I if I don't get a better offer for the next three years of my life, I'll, I'll take that on. Uh, so uh, what we're what we're going to do today is uh, is look at the story of the prodigal son, and this is more about family dynamics. Uh, frankly, the Hezekiah story is about political dynamics. You know, how do you deal with a you know with a a, a ruler who anyway all that that sort of thing. So uh, this is about a family dynamic, and the the prodigal son. Uh, what we're going to do is, is I'm going to read the story, and I have to do that because that's the only way to get it into the, the microphone here. But what we're going to do is go, it's a familiar story. I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably sure that you all know the story and know how it goes. You won't be surprised at how it, how it turns out. But, you know, what we're going to do is ra- I'm going to raise the question uh, about breakfast the next morning. Uh, you know, the... So uh, compassion, you know, the prodigal means extravagant. Uh, the father is extravagant in his compassion and his love. The son is com- extravagant in his stupidity. And the only person who's really logical and reasonable is the older brother. The only person who's measured in this is the older brother. Now, compassion has, you know, it's much admired and, and it's a great story and we, you know, we look at that and it's, it's done wonderful things for all sorts of folks and it's a very fine story to, to tell and to know. But, you know, compassion has follow through. Uh, 
you know that that if you forgive, then you got to live with the person you're forgiving with. If you've forgiven, you know that 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 if you welcome people into your house, then after a while you got to feed them or something. You know you got to do something with it. But you know compassion has follow through. So the question here about the prodigal son is follow through. Now you could also do this with a good Samaritan. And it raised the question, well, what, what happened when the Good Samaritan got home and tried to explain to his wife why he was three days late and spent all of his money? You know, so all of those things come in, but we're not going that way. We're going to the prodigal son and, um, to look at that, that story. And so what the question that I'm going to ask us, and we're going to take apart when you get to the end of it, uh, is, uh, what do they, what do they have on their mind? Each of them, there are three people. There's the father and the two sons. And for each of them, what do they have on their mind when they're shaving? Of course, they weren't shaving because they all wear birds. But anyway, just to, while they're while they're getting ready to come down to breakfast, what's in their mind? And then when they get there, who speaks first? What do they say? And how do the others respond? That's fracking the story. Now, Jesus didn't go there. You know, he didn't. He didn't tell that part of the story. So we're looking at it as the ne- the necessary follow through to compassion or to anger or to whatever. So that's what we're going to do. That's where we're going. All right, clear. Microphone on. You can hear me. Okay, good. All right. The the story, very familiar. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father. Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. I love that phrase. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. Now, that represents for this good Jewish storyteller in this good Jewish context, that's just about as far down as you can go. Taking care of some Gentiles' pigs, you know, is is pretty bad. Uh, He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here am I, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he's got him back safe and sound. 
Then he became angry, refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, has come to life. He was lost, has been found. Okay, that's the story. One of the things to notice is the use of the of the your your son. It is your son that went out and did that. And the father replies to tell him that it is your brother that came back. You know, there's a question of ownership being bounced back and forth between these two, and uh, that's that's part of what the the dynamic is. So, so let's take uh, let's take the elder brother and start with him. And the question is, before breakfast, he's doing whatever people did before breakfast in, in that culture, and got a time to think, what's on his mind? He's going to breakfast. He knows that his dad and his brother are going to be there. What's on his mind? He was angry before. Is he still angry, you think? Is he still angry? Probably. Heads bobbing. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. He's the only one with any wealth at, the, at this point. But but actually, his wealth isn't his until his father dies. So the, the, that, that it... it right. It, yeah. Yeah. But that's... But, but in the in the work, yes, you're right. He does say, "What's mine is yours," and and that's true because this kid took his inheritance, went off. So he's not being restored, you know, that way. Uh, and but the, but the but the elder son, you know, has to inherit that. You know, he's he's not. It's not it's not his. I mean, he he can't say, you know, sell all the camels. You know, he he can't do that yet. He, he will later, but not yet. So, yes, ma'am. I've never did either. Uh, because, and, because he's all hot and tired from the thing. He's going yep. to crash. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, considering the passion, uh, compassion of the father, he's clearly not going to let the younger son starve. He is going to get a, another, a second inheritance. At least I've always assumed. You think so? Mm-hmm. Well. He would, get, he would get a second inheritance before he's going to do Well. But, no, well. I've always assumed, no. Well. Well, okay. At least make them okay. I don't Could know be. Get, right. Okay. We we don't know. I mean, we we don't know that. It's a possibility. I'm going to repeat that a little bit for the sake of the of the tape. That the uh, Marty's pointing out that that she's always thought that the son did inherit something, and or the second the younger son, you know, is put back in the will in some form, or at least he's taken care of, and he has obviously has a place there at the farm, and we don't know what. What, what that is. But the question now is what's going on in the mind of the older brother? Yes, sir. I think he's got a decision to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
He does. Right. 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 How is he going to save face? And how is he going to? And 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 he has a, a question, and that's a basic question in the dynamics of forgiveness is showing up. You know, are are you are you going to be there? Are you going to be part of the conversation? You're not going to be part of the conversation. And certainly, you know, people have every power and right to to you know to withdraw. And sometimes that withdrawal is physical. I'm not going to breakfast. Or you go to breakfast and sit there like, you know, Mount Rushmore, you know, and, 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 you know, withdraw that way. So, so the question of participating, that's going to be part of the only's mind. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, there are cultural there are cultural issues uh, about primogenitor that that things go to the first and that's the elder brother, and uh, the fact that this young man has an inheritance at all is 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 somehow questionable. But but in this case, you know, he's got one. So however that happened, that happened. But you're right; that may have been offensive because all the rights would have gone in the minds of the people. The rightful heir would have been the elder brother. So, uh-huh. but the question is, what's going on in the elder brother's mind? Have we got him. He's he's still Hank Joan. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're right, right. Yeah, yeah. We're not in his head yet, but that's that's part of it. And you know, is he going to go and 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 all that sort of thing? Right, right, right. Yeah, he's he's waiting and watching. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, right. Uh huh. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that that a cautionary tale from him, right? Dude, his kid's going to play us for a sucker again, you know. And that and of course that's that the you know in in another world in another element of life that's a recidivism rate, you know, that that the you know the person is supposedly rehabilitated but they're not, you know, and that's always a chance. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now what? Okay. Now that introduces another another possibility, which of course we can't go very far with this. But suppose, I mean, is he going to be working for his older brother? So now what's he doing? You know. Well, 
Bobby, it's nice to have you home, and nobody's cleaned the latrine since you left, and there they are, you know, that that kind of thing. Or does he really get a, I mean, what, what's he going to, so he has some authority. He's got to figure out how to do that. So he's got a lot in his mind, okay? So let's go to the younger brother. What's what's going on with the younger brother now? Let's get into his head. We're we're getting ready for breakfast. What's what's going on with him? You all did a great job with the older brother. How? What's going on in the mind of the younger brother? I would like to think that when he was coming, he knew he had done the wrong thing. Yeah, it says he. he, he Maybe so, that he might, yeah, it's the sadder but wiser, you know, kind of lesson learned. And that, that could be it. Uh, you know, it we don't like, know. You know, he never experienced mm-hmm. But if he has that attitude, if he, uh, if he's thinking that, you know, he's got to play it out now. He's got to, he's got to be a wiser person when he gets to breakfast, Bobby. That phrase is repeated twice. Which phrase? The, about his eating the pigs and going home. Uh huh. Right. No longer worthy to be called your son. Right. Mm hmm. Right. He might. He might be willing, but then maybe nobody cares whether he's willing or not. You know, that, there's a, there's that side of, there's that side of it too. So, yeah, he may, he may, I mean, let's, let's give him, let's say that in one scenario, he's learned a lesson and he's saying, you know, look, I've got a, I've got a, grovel here i've got to you know i've got to do something i i'm clearly i have squandered not only the cash but the uh you know the the trust and the you know the the respect of my family it's it's all gone and i've got to do something about getting it back we'll talk about that and how that there's about that in, in just a minute anything else? that's 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 my phone saying it's receiving a text, which we're going to let it go. That's probably my daughter wondering if we can have lunch. So let's see. Okay. Jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And jealousy. And I, I would say that, that one little little tweak of that, he cannot choose whether or not to feel jealousy. He can choose whether how to act on it. You know, you, you, you know, because if you know if 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 a sunny day makes you feel jealous, then there you are. You know, it's just a, that's just the fact. You know, that, but but what do you do with that fact is is the real is the real question, and the possibility that the elder brother is jealous of the younger brother. You know that I never had a party like that. You know, I, I mean, I mean, he he made a hash of his life, but 
man, he's got some great stories to tell too. You know, I never got to do that either. You know, that that sort of thing. So he, he's got that that to do. One of, one of the things about his uh, the manner in which he rebuilds trust, and the, and this is this is true in 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 dynamics everywhere. The younger brother cannot do anything to to make trust happen. He can sit there and be as trustworthy. He can be, you know, the lear- lesson learned, you know, sadder, wiser. He can be, you know, a paragon of every virtue that, that you've ever seen, but it will never count unless the father and the brother give him something to be trusted about. Part of the dynamic of rebuilding lost trust is that the only people who can rebuild it are the offended parties. The offenser, the, the, the one who commits the offense has to, has to be ready to respond. But, you know, if, if I lied to you and you said, Frank, you know, you lied to me, okay, I can sit here and tell the truth forever. But if you don't trust me with something, no trust is going to build between us. The, that's, that's how the currency happens in this dynamic. So, so the younger brother can be, he, he can be a con man. He can, he can be wheedling his way back or whatever he's going to do. Or he can be, you know, sadder and wiser and corrected. He could be all those things, but he cannot make trust happen in this family. He can be, he can be trustworthy, but he can't make it happen unless they give him something to be trusted about. You know, that's, that's one of the things about the dynamic of trust and how it's built and how it comes down. So, all right. So, okay. Now let's go to dad. Okay, here's here's dad, and he's getting ready, and he's got this oil and water family that that uh, that he's um, got. So, what's on his mind before he goes to breakfast? Yes, ma'am. Um, yes. We had a missionary who is in Syria, mm-hmm. um, a woman, and she has been working with the refugee camps um, mm-hmm. that are basically Muslim, and um, she was it laid on be laid on her heart. To tell this story to the Muslims of the the prodigal son, and she said that the dad, um, the code in their culture, is if a son goes away and did the kind of things that he did, the other people are looking if he's coming back, and that's why they, the in the story it says that the father was looking for him and he as quickly as he could go and wrap his body around because this the what the punishment would to be stoned because of what he had done by leaving his family so so she said the the father was always looking for him because he had compassion. He did not want his son to be stoned to death. Mm-hmm. So that was that was um, the code. That's what would have happened to That's him. That's it. I didn't know that at all. That brings your cultural point. You know that that, that because stories like this rest in a culture. When we frack the story, we're going to do it from our culture, our cultural understandings. But that enriches the the, the story and the possibility. You, are you familiar with the the singer Joe Wise? He sings a wonderful song about this, where it talks about the sings about the, the the father taking his coffee by the door, watching for him to go. It's a great song, but but the uh, anyway that the, those cultural assumptions and that that may be you know that to protect him from the hostility of having violated the family 
family codes and whatnot. That, that's that's more than I knew. Thank you very much. So here we are with with the father now, as he gets ready to go. He's coming down. What's on his mind with these two boys, men now? Yes, ma'am. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. But that, but that's in fact what fracking the story takes us because compassion has follow through. You know, it's it's one thing to say, well, welcome back to the community, and then, okay, well now, now what? You know, so what what comes after welcome? You know, and 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 that sort of thing. So. Yes, he loves both of them. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, you know, and, yeah, and so he's got to mediate that, uh, something, to do something with that. Any other thoughts about what, what Dad is uh, thinking about? Okay. Uh, yes, sir. When, when we're growing up, we make mistakes. Do you quit after <laughs> do you stop doing that after you get grown up? I didn't. <laughs> people are ones that make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. and learn from them. Right. Right. So as a dad, I would be saying, son, tell me what you've learned. Mm-hmm. That would be a good start because the next that's the next question, which is, you know, you're at breakfast now, and that's a good opener. Young young son, tell us what you what you've learned. That would be that would be a good that would be a good opener and give him a chance to, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to, to do something, to show, show where he is in, in, in that process. That's, that's a good opening line. Any other thoughts about what they might say at breakfast? Yes, sir. Right. And, and we can only draw crude reference, inferences, Yeah. a job to do. He does have a job to do, and and kind of elevating the the younger brother in the eyes of the older brother, and perhaps even elevating the younger brother in his own eyes. You know that that yeah you, while acknowledging you know you know you know Bobby you 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 really behaved like an idiot you know and 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 that consequence is not being taken away, but. You're still a, something along those lines because you 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 can't you can't pretend that he you know you know he you know just just thinking that well you marched to a different drummer well you know 
okay, you, you don't march to a different drummer. You know, pass through the family inheritance. You know, every you know, house of prostitution in in Israel and end up feeding pigs and and call that just another route in life. That's you know, that's not that's not the way that works. So so you got to own the fact that he really messed up, and and to come around to it and and to do something with it. It's it's a it's a tough thing. Now the the main the main point here, I think, in in fracking this story is to is to make it real. You know that that. As Jesus tells the story, and you know, as the saying goes, and Jesus says, which I, I tend to agree with. Well, you know, comfort to Jesus, I'm sure. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful story of compassion, and what it is meant to represent in in terms of of traditional uh, devotional reading of Scripture is the manner in which God regards us. That that the that the prodigal love of the father is meant to remind us of the prodigal love of God, the extravagant love of God that takes us in our sinfulness, and that that the elder brother represents in in most traditional understandings, you know, the need of the community to to you know to to reflect the compassion of the of of the God of God. That's that's the the traditional devotional understanding of this story. And, and those are great principles and, you know, and exactly the right thing to do. But then the question, the reason for fracking the story is, well, how do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you take the fact that, okay, that God now loves this person who has really messed up in life and that I am the agent of God's loving of that person. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that and make a distinction between, you know, Bobby, you've been really stupid and Bobby, you're still a member of the family. How do you, how do you be honest, you know, and how do you do that? That's, that's the breakfast conversation and that's where fracking takes us. And so that's the advantage of, of doing it. Yes, ma'am. Right. And so, you know, you can argue about whether the older brother had the right to have these rights, but in that society, that's the way it was. Right. And he was always working with the poor in society. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we, I don't want to hear that one because it hits too close at home. Yeah. But uh, he could be doing a little social commentary here, too, in the fact that we've got to have compassion for those. Why doesn't the older, younger brother have rights? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much he was sent off with. Right. Whether he was sent right. off with half. Yeah, we, yeah, half right. And we're, yeah. Does it say half? What's it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Half or portion? What, is, what does it say? Half or portion? Oh, uh, he's already got his Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's got, yeah, he's. Yeah, right, yeah. But, but, but I think the principle applies. The, the principle applies because the, the, yeah, the, the older brother, the older brother is us. You know, the older brother is the community of people who have the responsibility, have the job of doing something with God's compassion for the younger brother. That, right. Exactly right. They still got the responsibility, but 
What are you going to do with this guy? And that's that's the that's the question that, that's held up. And I you know, I think there's some advantage to thinking about that. Now fracking in its very nature does not resolve problems. You know it it you know it it lets it come around. But the fact is that that the 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 dynamic of this family is resolved by the actions we take or do not take in regard to the people in our community. So that I mean that's. There you are. So, and the and the very legitimate question: Can you trust this kid? Can can you trust this guy? Is he is he going to con us out of more of dad's inheritance and disappear you know, over the hill again? Nobody knows. But again, trust will be built if you give him something to be trustworthy about. You know, I wouldn't start with half the kingdom again. But but anyway, that's that's another point. So okay, all right. Well, you all are good frackers. Yes, yes, ma'am. No, we know. Um, no, we know. So maybe he just couldn't take it anymore, whatever it was, and he, you know, tried to get away from what is going on um, in his family. I don't mm-hmm. know, but you know, if if the he's the other one is the boss of him all the time, right? Um, we don't know. We, no, we don't. No, we don't. And I think that 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 one of the one of the tendencies when when we kind of step into these stories and have the right to recreate them and to shape them in in all kinds of ways, one of the things we that that we don't want to do is to is to make them simple. You know that the the brother was a really mean sob and the younger brother left because you know he had abused him or something like that. You know that that puts it at a plane where you where you and I don't basically live. And so it's a, it's, it's gotta be our life. You know, it's gotta, it's gotta, the, the point is to learn about our life, not theirs. I mean, I mean, Jesus made these people up. I mean, they're not real people anyway. Uh, so, so we don't have that, but it's a question of getting it to apply in our life. All of that we don't know. We, you know, we do not know, uh, you know, any, any of the, any of that dynamic. And, but it's a question of reflecting on our own. We have time for one, one other story. Uh, you ready to move on to one? Do another one here. Uh, this this is a a classic story of uh, of prayer, and it's it's used um, in a lot in in the season of Lent, <clears throat> and uh, a lot of the quiet and reflective time that's coming up to us. And it's the story of Elijah at Mount Horeb. And the text is 1 Kings 19, 11 through 18. Again, you know, Bibles have a table of contents. Don't, don't, uh, you know, think that you could open it right to 1 Kings and, and, uh, do it. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 18. Now, this, uh, this story, the story of, of Elijah and, uh, you know, the background of it is a contest between Elijah and the priests of Baal. And, uh, at, at this, at this point, you know, the, the idea of, you know, ecumenical relations and interfaith dialogue was not, <laughs> was not there. So it was, uh, you know, that, that the question of, you know, your God or my God was a zero sum game and, you know, 
there were winners and there were losers, and the losers tend to lose more than just an argument. So what had happened is that there's a great contest, and Elijah and the priests of Baal. The priests of Baal are uh, much supported by the queen, Jezebel, and, uh, you know, her, her husband is a pretty weak guy named King Ahab. Uh, he, she pushes him around pretty, pretty easily. So they've got the backing of the royal family. And in this contest, uh, which goes into marvelous detail, and they have a marvelous time telling the story, but we'll, we'll, you, you can read that if you want to, but the, <clears throat> the upshot of it is that, that because Elijah wins the contest, and the thing was to prepare a sacrifice and see whose God would set fire to the sacrifice, and Yahweh, the, the God of Elijah, sets fire to his sacrifice and not the, uh, the Baal, and so, uh, Elijah's response to that is is hardly uh, you know uh, ecumenical in its approach. He you know he basically kills all the priests of Baal, and uh, you know the the royal family and the Baal worshippers, as you might imagine, you know take exception to this. And so Elijah looks up and finds out that he's really gotten himself in a lot of trouble, and he takes off and goes to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is in is another name for Mount Sinai, and this is in the southern. Uh, Sinai Peninsula, so he runs a long, long way. Uh, I've been, to, I've been to that mountain, and it take you, you know, the drop-in trade is not much of a factor there. You, you really got to be going there to get there. It's way down in the, in the, in the peninsula. So he is scared to death, and he runs away, and then he, he implores God. Now, where the, what this, how this becomes a, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a great story for, for people and their, their quietism, their interior journey, uh, you know, all that sort of thing is the, the famous phrase about how God appears to him. In the King James, it's, it's, you know, it's going to say that there's an earthquake and there's fire, all that kind of stuff. God is not in the violent things. And in the King James version, it says that God comes to him as a still small voice. Uh, the translation that I have, which is undoubtedly indebted to Simon and Garfunkel, says that it comes in the sound of sheer silence. But the point is that, that God is not in a dramatic presentation, but in a quiet inner moment, which is one of the disciplines of Lent. You have to seek God in quiet, and it's a good thing to do. But what I want you to notice is that everybody, a lot of people know the story of, uh, you know, God comes and speaks to him in a sound of sheer silence or a still small voice, but hardly anybody pays any attention to what the voice says. And so what we're going to do is understand the mindset of Elijah. He's scared to death. He's hiding in a cave. He has gone what must be at least a 10-day journey down to to Mount Sinai, running away from these people. He's hiding, and he's praying to God, and he asks for God's help, and God comes down. Earthquake, fire, not in those, but in the still small voice. But listen closely to what it is, and I want you to under, start thinking about what that, what how Elijah responds to what the voice says. So, here's the story. <clears throat> He's hiding down in the in the in the cave down at Mount Sinai. Uh, <clears throat> God said, "Go out and stand on the mountain." before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. That's the great sentence for the quiet life, interior life. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The next verse says, so he set out from there. Now, my question for us, my friends, is what happened between hearing that command and setting out? What's going on in Elijah's mind? Remember that Elijah is scared. He is frightened. He is running away. He has been prodigal, perhaps, in his response to the priests of Baal. And they're really mad at him, and he's scared. He's down there because he's frightened. And so he prays to God, and what God basically says is, go back. And not just go back, but go back and start a revolution. Go back and start a revolution. Now, How does Elijah hear that? If you're so frightened that you run 10 days' journey into the wilderness and hide in a cave on a mountain to keep from having your head chopped off or whatever they're going to do, and the word of the Lord comes to you which says, go back and start a revolution, how does that sound? What are you going to do with that? He does it. He does. It says he went. He took, takes off and he goes back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he just has to trust God. You know, he, you know, he will find a way to, you know, do what God wants him to do. I would think God is with him. Maybe. And I would think that that that, that, that would be a questionable assumption if you're that frightened but but yes i mean obviously that's how the story plays out and that and that's what that's the that's the textbook answer you know the, and that's what elijah does but let's let elijah be a human being you know if you're hiding because you're frightened and your prayer says go back and don't just go back and you know open a camel repair shop someplace 
go back and start a revolution, I, I think that's pretty scary stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, it's Mount Sinai. It's another name for Mount Sinai. Yeah, oh yeah, he believes in God, yeah. Well, he's got he's got to take it in because Mount Sinai is traditionally the place where Moses saw the burning bush, where God says, you know, you're hiding down here from the Egyptians. Go back to Egypt and and do something about it. Basically, the same thing he says to Elijah. It's also the place of the Ten Commandments. You know that that's another traditional site. You know that that's that's where that was done. So it has all of those those stories. You know that that he's connected. <clears throat> and you know he yeah he 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 obviously comes to the conclusion to go do it because he he does it I mean there there you are, but the doubt part of the part of the story here and I'm I'm going to have to move this this kind of quickly I, is that that the that prayer that asking God for when you're frightened that quite often. You know, God's response, not always, but quite often God's response to our request for solace is in fact mission. Do something. Do something. You know, get going. We, the word comfort, you know, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. That's how Handel's Messiah begins with that quote from, from Isaiah. You know, comfort ye my people. The word comfort in the, in scripture and in the Christian tradition doesn't mean take care of, it means strengthen. Okay? Comfort in that sense means strengthen. In our common parlance, it is, oddly enough, it is used the same way as the term comfort is used in the legal definition of treason, which is to provide aid and comfort to the enemy. Now that doesn't mean sending chocolates to, you know, to Al-Qaeda or something like that. It means being a source of strength too. When the, when the marriage vow that you make is to comfort one another, it means to be a source of strength too. Alright? So when we turn to God for, for comfort, you know, I mean, there, there are many pictures of God caring for the lame, the least, the lost, and all that sort of thing, and, you know, all that, that kind of thing. But, but a great deal of the, of the comfort that God gives us takes this shape takes this form it is mission not not you know you know, bless your heart you know let me let me put some tea on and uh you know and peel you a grape or whatever you know whatever form you know that that takes in, in our minds it is you know that prayer prayer is you know is in fact one of the things that, that we that I think a lot of a lot of times we miss, and you know, and and it comes out of the, in, in this story too, is that that prayer is also has an aspect of volunteering. That when we pray for others, that embedded in that prayer is a volunteering to be the agent of God's response to the person. So when you say, you know, God, you know, take care of this younger brother, you know, who's or 
go 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 talk to the elder brother in the other story, then be ready for the fact that 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 God's likely to say it's a good idea, Frank. Go talk to the other brother. You know that you be you become the agent. There's a wonderful quote from a man named Douglas Steer, who was a Quaker uh, in the in the 20th century, um, marvelous writer about prayer, and he writes this about about prayer and and about and I'm thinking about. Elijah at this point, and I'm thinking about Lent as you approach it. Douglas Steer, um, in a book called Prayer and Worship, he wrote this, Prayer is incipient action. Okay, Prayer is incipient action. And these clues are the lines along which the molten freedom of the person in prayer is cast. Get that picture. That that a person praying is molten and being cast by God into a certain shape. Okay, so prayer is incipient action, and these clues are the lines along which the molten freedom of the person in prayer is cast. Here is the unformed side of life's relationships the letters to be written, the friends to be visited, the journey to be undertaken, and he goes through a whole list of things like that. That that prayer becomes, you know, incipient action. It is, you know, that, that to pray is to be ready to do. You know, and quite often in our prayers, we, to our great discredit, you know, we basically are giving God a to-do list, you know, uh, you know, God, Aunt Martha's not doing so well, so go check her out. And, you know, there's also, you know, the Yemen is kind of a mess in Sudan, and so would you take care of those things here? And I'll, you know, like as if God were resting on the couch and, didn't, you know, not doing anything. The fact is that to pray is to volunteer. It is incipient action. And in Elijah's case, you know, what he does, he comes up against the fact that God's response is action, that the response of his prayer for, I'm scared, I'm hiding down here, and God's response to that is mission, mission. Now, I would say that not everybody's called to go start a revolution. I'm not saying that, but but I am making the point that quite often, you know, that our response, that our, our request to God, our prayer before God manifests itself in mission, and Elijah is gets that. And it's not, I don't think it's comfortable. I think he's more aware of his discomfort then he is the service that might be rendered to God. And I, you know, I mean, everybody can get to that point very, very easily to, to do that. We are almost at the time we got to quit here. So any questions about that? So, well, here comes Lance. So go thou and do thou likewise. And, uh, there you are. Thank you all very much for your time. So. Oh, my pleasure. It's been great fun. We've fracked away, and we will continue <laughs> to frack away. Uh, we're, so. Right. Well, Bobby and I are, and Art are going to talk uh, this week about how to do this for the for the, for the the group, and uh, so we'll do that. All right? Very Thank well. you. It's great fun. Thank you all for letting me come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.